are listening to Comes a Time with Oteil Burbridge and Mike Fenoya. If you're digging the podcast, do these guys a favor and review and subscribe. It means a lot. Be sure to follow the pod on social media, YouTube, and if you're joining for bonus episodes and exclusive content, go to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get on the bus. And now, here's Mike and Oteil. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Comes the Time. That is Mike. And that is Oteal. What's up, buddy? Man, I'm feeling good. Today, we got a good one for you guys. This one is just all about the magic for me. Uh, you guys know that I got really heavy into professional wrestling. And right when I just went down the Iron Sheik rabbit hole, uh, Soon after that, we were going, we got the good fortune. We had the good fortune to be able to go to uh, WWE SmackDown in Miami. And on the same row of, as me is this guy wearing an Iron Sheik t-shirt. And I saw, he saw my Sheik t-shirt and we were like, yeah, the Sheik, blah, blah, blah. And then <clears throat> turns out he's the Iron Sheik's manager. I was like, no way, because Iron Sheik had liked a couple of my posts, the, my wrestling posts that we had done, like the Halloween Havoc one. Yeah. And so I'm just losing it. And he's losing it because he's a huge deadhead. Had <laughs> seen Dead <laughs> & Company like a bunch of times. And we're both just like, is, is this too much? And I said something about it being magic. He's like, bro, I believe in the magic. My whole life is magic. And it truly is. He has the most incredible story his dad and the Iron Sheik were friends in Iran, and he's uh, Iranian. They're Iranian Jews, not the Iron Sheik, but Paige Macon's family. And so I was like, "Wow, that's just an interesting story in and of itself." And they had to leave the country because of regime changes. Came here, and uh, so he ended up being the Iron Sheik's manager, uh, and. It, also has an entertainment company called Megan Boys, which is really insane. They sent the, who was based in Miami, and they sent some of the some dancers and a DJ to my son's party and completely lit it on fire. Like hmm. this dude was dancing; it's like a stunt dancer. He was bouncing on his head, and then he lifted his hands up, so he's doing moves bouncing just on his head, no hands, like crazy amazing. stuff. I think his name was Showtime or something. But like it was the best party my kids ever had. So he's just like brought so much joy into my life. And uh, you know, he's it's a great story and a great chat. So uh you guys will really enjoy it. And thanks for thanks for all the uh education on wrestling, Mike. <laughs> no sweat, buddy. I feel uh I have to say you're welcome slash I'm sorry because uh <laughs> I feel like I gave you your first pack of cigarettes, but uh, it's so I'm so happy to see you uh, love and wrestling like I did when I was a child. So uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's adorable. Did you tell anybody? You can apologize what? to my wife. She's yeah. the one that's having a hard time. Where the hell was I? Columbus, Ohio, Oteil? You were, at, you were oh, on dead Columbus, tour. Ohio. You were on, he's, Oteil's on dead tour. I'm at Columbus, Ohio doing stand-up with the Impractical Jokers. And I'm walking around during the day. We always like to hit little shops and stuff. I can't remember the name of the shop, but I FaceTime you. And you're in the gym, I think, right? 
and uh, I lost you. <laughs> We're in the gym, and uh, no. I go, I go, dude, you got to see this. And this toy store had literally, and I mean, you name it. God, I got to remember the name. Maybe we'll put it in the notes. I have to look it up. Columbus, Ohio toy store. And uh, man, there it is. They had bins and those. And dude, I put you on FaceTime and the whole store is like, you go, what? No shit. Dude, show me around. Do they have Macho Man? And I got you those. Yeah. Do they have Dusty Rhodes? Dusty Rhodes. For those of that they can't see, I'm holding up my action figures, a Cactus Jack. Nick That's Foley, right. A Dusty Rhodes. And then Mike. Oh, my God. Was the magic not in full effect? He goes, oh, they have a macho man. Oh, look, it's a talking macho man. So we replaced the battery. It's so awesome. I think Cody had I don't know where the, oh, man. I'm so, so glad good, that works, so. dude. I am so glad that works. Yeah. And I, I have to tell uh, you, dude, you gave everybody in that store a good laugh, too. They were so happy for you <laughs> by, via FaceTime. Oh, my God. It was great. <laughs> The owners of the store were well, like, yeah, this is why we have this store. This, you know, like literally like is, make people happy. This is why we do it. This yeah. is why we do it. So for all but, you, all you deadhead slash wrestling head fans. Oh, this is a one for you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And thanks for listening everybody. And thank you Paige for being so awesome and uh, joining us. And uh, folks, if you're having a good time, uh, subscribe, share, review, uh, join us on Patreon forward slash comes the time pod for a bonus episode e- each week. And uh, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel because we got a bunch of great stuff coming. So uh, thank you, Paige. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you soon. Later. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Paige Megan, what's up, brother? So good to see you. This is a honor and a, a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. How are you guys? Wow. I mean, easily the most handsome man ever to grace our podcast. Look at that. <laughs> oh my God, that beard. You know, I, so I distinguished. To, I used to color. I used to color. I, I was so nervous about seeing gray, and now I'm just letting it all hang out. So it's kind of exciting. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a nice dude, beard. After uh, after Jeff Comenti. I'm like, oh, I wish my hair would just go silver all the way because, <laughs> you know, that would be so cool. So I, it's a gift to be able to do that. Well, it takes a minute when you see like yourself, like when you were all black and then when you see yourself gray, you're like, I feel like I, I literally thought I looked like Ernie from Ernie and Bert, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm like going for that, that gloomy look. So weird too, because like mine grew in super thick and full and rich when it was like it was, and it was almost reddish. It was like a reddish brown. Now it grows in five different colors. It's like gray, white, reddish brown, black, it, and it, from a distance, it looks all spotty and patchy. It's like like a, I just shouldn't even be growing anything. It's like a junkyard at that. point. It does. It really. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a fire took place a week ago on my face. <laughs> But it's great it's to probably see you. hard on the way to silver because you got that in between part, like Mike's talking about, where it's just all like. Yep. But then, if you if you're lucky enough to get there, like my dad, you know. But well, man, we got to tell people how we met because it's the craziest story. I would um, shout out to Andrew Levine who was riding bikes with us, and I didn't know that he worked for WWE. And so when I got into it, they were like, you know, Andrew works for them. I was like, no, really? So I texted him. And then of course he put us front row, like floor one, row one. There's the K SmackDown in, in Miami. Well, well like, and can, I took, can, I, can I rule this out? Cause there's like detail that you don't know. Oh, but, excellent. Please. <laughs> so, so first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Um, so how did we meet? So, I mean, I knew of you, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of the band. I mean, I've seen the dead a few times in the 90s, like, you know, all all things considered. But a friend of mine, Adam Lipowitz, who's a big fan, his uh, actual his uncle's Lauren Michaels from SNL. About, uh, about <laughs> yeah, three months ago, three months prior to that December. So like in October, sorry, November, he sends me a picture of you, your wife and your son on Halloween, he's like, "Do you know this dude?" I'm like, oh, yeah. "I know him." He's like, "He's the basis, the basis in the dead." I'm like, "Oh my god, he's a fan. He's a wrestling guy." And again, like, it's like that thing with Eric. Like, either the the green light turns on or off. So if you like wrestling and I like wrestling, I don't care if you're eight or eighty. We're best friends. Like, that's yeah, comedy too. Yeah, yeah, it's like a click. And, and I mean, yeah. and side note: I once got a a parking a speeding ticket, 
and uh, it was, it, and it was on my phone driving, which is like a huge find in Canada. And the judge recognized me from my Iron Sheik movie <laughs> and dismissed my case and asked everyone to leave and tell me back to tell me true story that he wears wrestling underwear underneath his cloak sometimes. That's how much of a fan he is. Okay, so so it really does show if you are a wrestling fan, it, it, the barrier is like, I don't care if you're the king of the world or yeah. you're, you're a four-year-old. Anyway, just painting that picture. So I felt connected to that one picture that O'Teal, his wife, and his son had on Halloween. I, I and w- Kavi, Kavi was Bianca Belair. Okay, fine. So, 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 WWE's coming to Miami. I'm taking my family to Miami for a family vacation. And I actually ended up becoming friends with a guy who was working for FTX. FTX is the, the, the crypto company. And he ended up saying, I got you a box. I got you this. I got you that. And ironically, um, December 1, FTX, did you see that guy, Sam Bankman Free? Like the whole thing yeah. exploded. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not going to ask him for those tickets again. I'm not going to be like, Bro, like, I don't know. And I just felt like, let me work on this on my own. So like, Sam, you get one phone call. He's like, I better call Paige <laughs> about the tickets. <laughs> Can you imagine a, a, like a billion dollar business imploding? And then there's a guy being like, you know those tickets you offer? <laughs> <laughs> hey, is it cool if I bring my friend? Uh, so so long story short, so I reach out to WWE and I say, I needed some tickets for my family and my, and my son's friends and blah, blah, blah. My brother, okay. This is where you don't know the story. My brother doesn't have the tickets. I was given eight tickets from the WWE, not knowing where I'm sitting. I go, Gian, just get your seats. Because I know when they give you tickets, they don't give you like anything special. They just give you like, like, you know, 15th row, middle, by the ramp, whatever. It's not like a big deal. It's like family and friends tickets. Didn't know where I was sitting. My brother buys cheap seats on StubHub. Boom, gets in. We get in. And I get my seats at Will Call and they're second row seats. Second row seats, ringside. My brother's like, you piece of shit. Like, how dare you? You better hook me up. <laughs> now, this is where the 40-year-old virgin fan thing kicks in. My brother sees me. He's up there, and he sees me walking to my seats. I'm not telling him that I'm sitting second row. My brother, my twin brother, is such a loser that he walked, he was in the building with tickets in the building, bought four ringside seats for that were right in front of me just to fuck with me okay. amazing okay, like you don't know a fan <laughs> or a Twins. person that would buy seats in a show while they're in the show that's amazing okay. just to mess with you i like your brother but so so anyway so so i'm at He's the concession great. booth and O'Teal, who i'm not clicking on not realizing yet there's a guy wearing an iron sheet shirt wearing that shirt you know in a perfect world you know if i saw someone at a grocery store or or, you know at a mall like i would probably call it out but the idea of it being more regular at a wrestling show i just i didn't make it a thing sure so i i end up buttering my brother up and we all we all take turns between the second row and the first row going back and forth and so when i'm sitting at the front Ah. i'm sitting in the front row literally right in front of the seat that I had right behind me. There's me. There's my son's friend. Who's like a 10 year old kid. O'Teal's son, O'Teal's wife and O'Teal. Like literally we're sitting beside each other, but like 17 minutes before I saw the guy, you're grabbing a popcorn or whatever, whatever it was. 
And so I just like scratch my head. I'm like, okay, is there irony there? Is there irony there? And then as I'm like staring, I think we looked at each other for a minute, but he didn't recognize who he didn't know who I was. Um, I just my my brain just started squinting and it just started like working. Like I was like, how, how do I know that guy? Hmm. And then my brother's my brother in law, my brother's brother in law was like, I think that's that's Oteal. And I'm like, oh, oh, it is Oteal. So I look at him, I go, and I saw your face when it first did that. Yeah. And you're like, you did this. And again, I, I'm sure you don't get mar- marked out in a, an environment like that. Right. <laughs> so I go, I look over and I'm like, are you O'Teal? I'm like, are you O'Teal? And he goes like, yeah, like, yeah. Like it, the mob was going to come and like, this, we're like at a Beatles concert. It's O'Teal. And he, I go, my, my heart jumped. I'm like, dude, I'm. I'm the Iron Sheik. I'm the Iron Sheik. He's like, what do you mean you're the, he's like, <laughs> I'm the guy who was with the Iron Sheik. I go, and anyways, it was a quick, magnetic, thunderous, electric, like super, <laughs> super bro moment. Yeah. And we just started talking and jabbing hard, like as if we've known each other for more than 14 seconds. Um, and then Killer Cross, who who's a wrestler, ended up texting me. So I then bring Oteal with me and all these kids. We go backstage to get some pictures. And it was just like a full zap to the heart moment for real. Yeah. <laughs> and I can say this. and I don't want to sound like too mushy, but like I've spoken to Oteal more than I've spoken to people in the past 20 years. Like since then. Uh, like even yeah. though it's tech, whatever, like, I, like I, we speak enough for me to be like... Like it's a comfortable conversation. It's not. It, it, it's been. It's been a very unique six months. I can say. That's incredible. It was the quickest bromance. I've only had one quicker, and that was my best friend Eddie Castillo. This was when I was nineteen, and we literally met, and then we just hung out every day from right after that. But it was so great because see what how I remember it as that I didn't have my action figure yet, but I had gotten my T-shirt, and I was so bummed that my action figure hadn't come out so i was psyched to wear my chic t-shirt and then when i first saw you or you first saw me that it was the t-shirt i thought i remember you going the chic and i was like yeah and then you had this t-shirt on i had the other one on i was like "Ooh, i want that i was and then all of a sudden yeah you were rocking this one and i had the other one that's the white one it's a different one and then uh and then all of a sudden, all the kids, it was like, as I remember, were there like six kids or four kids? There was a lot all of children. Were, yeah, looking at me like, you know how like meerkats or prairie dogs all look up when they see like a prey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's after him. And I was like, uh-oh, they're all staring at me. I was like, Jess, uh, what's going on? He's like, are you a teal? I was like, yeah. <laughs> Well, no, so, sorry. Let I'm me... the sheik. I was like, what are the odds? No let way. Me add, let me add this moment. So I took a super dad moment where we're at the hotel and my friend, my son's friends and my friend's kids were all together. And I'm like, all right, you're all coming with me. They're like, well, where are any other parents coming? And then I'm like, no, I got them. So I took six other kids with me solo. Like I I couldn't care. They're like, well, are you sure you need help? I'm like, I got this. I'm like, I'm no problem. I got an Uber and bam and boom. But the crazy part is that the kid who was sitting beside me, his father is a humongous dead guy, like a humongous dead guy. Yeah. And so he he heard of you, knew of you. And then his father, when, when yeah. we sent the pictures, he goes, 
Isn't it ironic that the greatest day of my life had to do with my son getting? (laughs) It's like he never, he's never going to experience what his son did that he fell onto. So it was like a, it was just just magical because again, kids now are rocking like it's almost like fashion code wearing dead shit, right? Oh God, yeah. Like I I see more than ever, and that's what. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that's what tripped me up because I was sitting there with Jess and I was like, the kids recognize me. Because like the kids were, they were like, you know, I was like, what's going on? But it must have been that one kid that was just like, it was such a great moment. And I was just like, honey, uh, my wife, she believes in the magic at this point. Yeah. And I was like, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, what are the odds, man? Like, and what a great night of wrestling too. Yeah, for Nigel sure. Nigel was so, oh, the pictures and video of Nigel. And how into it he was, I was just like, even my wife is not into it. She was like, that was special. Like watching them. That was your first live wrestling event too, right? Dude. Yeah. Well, we had done a local one. Yeah, but that was your first like big, that was like your first big thing. That was my, I mean, Smackdown. And the big, big, big Smackdown. Oh, he just got into it, dude. Like we were talking about, I told him about DDP yoga and he was like, Who's DDP? And I'm like, Diamond Dallas Page. I'm like, he was a wrestler. And then O'Teal dove, literally tied weights to his ankles and dove to the very bottom <laughs> of wrestling and was like, just slowly made his way back up to the surface and was like, dude, this shit's deep. Well, like, well, this I'm, is some, then it was like, I was so, so happy to watch him, 12 year old geek out. Cause it's reminded me of how I was when I, I grew up with all this, you know, it, it, it just you know seems... what it sounds like, it's like, you know, it's like, someone's like, I just spoke to a guy a couple of days ago. I'm like, I, I want to look at a new show. He's like, well, have you seen this? I'm like, yeah, have you seen this? Yeah. He's like, you know, like, oh. and then they were talking. I'm like, oh, they're like, oh man, did you see the latest episode of billions? I'm like, what's billions? Yeah. Like, oh my God. You haven't you seen haven't billions. Seen I, yeah. I <laughs> jealous that you have all this to catch up on. And so like, as a, as a wrestling fan, when you're like just learning in the learning tree, I think there's a comparable with music. It's like, I'm such a super fan yeah. that I know this guy in Germany or this guy in Brooklyn and this guy. Maybe for you, it's like, you know, this coming up basis or this coming up person. And you know that his backstory and how he got there. Like, there's so much of that, especially also in comedy, Mike. Yeah, comedy of course. Is the exact parallel to the indie wrestling to the big leagues conversation. Yeah, yeah. Do you agree? It's- Yes, hundred percent. Well, and also, I it's cool for me to see O'Teal experiencing all of this at the age that he's at, and at all the experience that he's had. Because I wonder, you know, I got to geek out like this with wrestling, with the Grateful Dead, with fish, with comedy. So many times I've been able to like, you know, belly flop into a subculture, you know. But O'Teal has been the subculture that a lot of us has belly flopped into. Do you know what I mean? So, like, we're geeking out about the music. You haven't even really had a chance to, like, geek out hard about things. And watching him, it's like watching somebody hear their first fish tape back in high school or their first going to their first dead show. So it's fun to see him get, like, look at the action figures I got. Look at the new T-shirts I got. It's like I'm talking to my buddies in high school again about, like, you know, getting fish tickets or, and stuff. So it, it's very, very exciting to see. But but let's let's talk about that for a second because like that. Let's just call it that sugary feeling that you get, right? Hell yeah, yep. That, yeah. And again, you are a performer in front of a hundred people or eighty thousand, or you know, same with you, Mike. Like the sugar, the dopamine, the 
youthful um the fountain of youth that we drink yeah. being in entertainment and being able to 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 consider it work or consider it a job but then also be able to like yeah i don't know i don't know feel connected about it i mean you know no offense to the chiropractor i'm not dissing him but like i yeah. don't that guy like when i drop my kids <laughs> off at school and i'm yeah. wearing like my jordans and a pair of jeans and a hat it's like i'm not having this like have a good day billy we'll see you later it's like it's a different mindset because of what we've been exposed to that right here it's like a comic is friends with comics musician is friends with musicians wrestlers <laughs> are friends with wrestlers yeah so but the parallels here they're all kind of like um <laughs> their own fandom and their own i don't know relationship with the love of absolutely yeah they're yeah. like cults you well, know and i actually heard uh, mick foley because i've always said you know they're like carnies and that's why i relate to them because i feel like musicians are like carnies and i was watching a mick foley i watch his podcast and he speaks carney and he spoke a little bit of it and i was like that's why i love this guy amazing. because I'm seeing the parallel, but he can go all the way back and make that connection. Like it's an unbroken line. And I've learned so much history from Mick Foley too. And, and um, he's been a lot of the source of me, like getting into new Japan wrestling and the, all the Japanese stuff. Yeah, the, and it's the, just the, like a rabbit hole. No, but, but what you, you said about like, about the language, I, I, I was watching a match uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I knew one of the guys knew no it, it was like an international match it was like two americans and maybe like a japanese guy but like the fact that they're they're dancing in the ring and know what to do and what to say um without even speaking the same language right it's almost like yes yes sitting on a band and like when they're doing this you know what this means i remember i i was on tour with james brown when i was like 22 actually was working with his with a couple of the members of his band. And I remember that when I was on the side of the stage, he would just do things that just were like, you knew what they were, but yeah. no one else could call it or see it. Right. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that with wrestling, like hearing them speak in Carney. It's like, it's like a rite of passage for you to understand what they're meaning, what they're saying. You said something yeah, before we lesson. You said something before we jumped on air here, Paige, about, you know, whether you're eight or 80, I connect with you if you're a wrestling guy or if you're a collector or whatever. And it's so interesting that we're talking about this because it's like comedians always talk about the fact that if I travel to a city, I'm going to Wisconsin this weekend, I'm going to meet a comic that's opening for me for the first time. I'm going to have a connection with him immediately that are that me and my oldest best friend that doesn't do stand up yeah. will never have. Yeah. There's that thing where we have that immediate like you get it, you understand the grind, like you've committed, you're addicted, yeah. you've you've do, you got the dope in your veins, and well, no, it's like it's like you've turned, like you know, yeah. like, in Homeland when you <laughs> exactly turn, like a vampire, yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, you've turned. Yeah, and it's so interesting because <laughs> so, it is that. It's well, wild to have that connection with someone you've never met before. Oh yeah, comedy, music, wrestling, and uh, about who they were when you knew them and who they are now. Energy, like yeah. 
I was with uh, my friend Tony Hinchcliffe on Friday. He did two nights in Toronto. He sold out 1,500 seats per a six o'clock and a nine o'clock. Nice. But when I met him, I was it was 15 years ago, and he was working the door at the comedy store. Yeah, man. I yeah. remember how I was with him then. I would bring the Sheik, and he was my first point of contact. And he was like, oh, my God, it's the Sheik. And we were, like, clicking. And I didn't – I couldn't walk up to Pauly Shore or Jeff Ross the same way I – I was also, you know, someone that was on the come up. And so when we share that, right, when you right. share the come up, right, those are like battle wounds. You could say that about music. You can say that about wrestling. You can say that about comedy. But what's more unique is like when you hold on to the currency of a relationship, which right. I'm, I'm obsessed with. Like I, I say this to everyone. If I meet you once, it's not worth a million dollars to never speak to you again. I value the human connection, right? You know. There are times where, like, oh my, like, like in 2002, I was booking wrestlers for $50 that are now worth 50 grand a night, right? So I remember how I treated them. Yeah. And now, who are they now, right? And yeah. I'm sure you both have scenarios where, like, I started out with Amy Schumer or Otil, you started out with this guy. Now, who are they? Well, what does that mean to your relationship with them as we both progress in life? That's very true. It's extremely. It's it's super interesting too to think about because it's like I've had, yeah, there's this like, especially now I feel with the internet and social media and all that, like there are meteoric rises. There are folks who deserve a meteoric rise, but maybe don't get it. And then there's the slow and steady wins the race kind of rise. And then there's, you know, all of it all at once. And when you have folks, when you have folks that you can look at, and notice along the way, you know, Big Jay Okerson was like a mentor to me when I first started out. And he's, you know, on a always been on a steady, you know, rise and with his radio show and podcasts and live shows and all that. And it's just watching him and the way, you know, like talking with him afterwards and like sharing, you know, stories of he would help me when I went through things where I was banging my head against the wall and he's like, it's going to pass. Like, you're going to be okay. Like I went through this and it's so nice to have that. God, it's so nice to have that. You know, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back with more comes a time. Stick around. But is there such thing as an overnight success? Like, really, unless it's just in the fractional anomaly of numbers, right? Yeah, sometimes there is like I some people like I've noticed it's been a theme on our podcast recently because we've been having these people on that were so young when they when got really famous, like Derek Trucks. You know, I met him when he was 11 and he was playing like a 40 year old. And, you know, I think he joined the Allman Brothers when he was 16, 15 or 16, something like that. And then Jerry Jamont, you know, like all these people. But a lot of times what you see is people that make it real big. If they make it too quick, they don't really know the value of it. Like maybe they have a lot of talent, but it's it's rare to see them last like a Stevie Wonder and a Michael Jackson that were literally kids. Right. Like I think I yeah. saw yesterday Stevie Wonder wrote My Sharia Moore when he was like nine or something insane. Jeez. Some some tune we all know he wrote as a kid. Yeah. yeah. And to, but that long jet you see him crash and burn early, you know. But sometimes it's just like 
these kids like Anakin Skywalker that have more midichlorians than others. But I'm glad I made it late because I'd have been dead if I had made it in my 20s. Well, Amen to like, that. I would have too. And I'm still not so famous that I can't like go to the store. No, but your culture and what you're – that's interesting because the Sheik, you know, when the Sheik passed away, he was 83 years old. Um, <clears throat> but he only started getting into shit when he was 40, 41, 42. Up until 40, yeah. 41, 42, he was an Olympic athlete. He was like biting tomatoes, like 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 as if they were apples. Like he was doing five hundred squats a day. He was his body was like that temple of temples. Yeah. Um, while these other wrestlers, from the time they were probably eighteen, nineteen, twenty, substance was just a part of their lifestyle. Yeah. So I'm grateful for the amount of time uh, he got to be on the planet because everyone around him, yes. sadly, was exposed to all that all that you know culture and and normalcy to them and it uh, you know obviously you've seen it firsthand comedy and and music it bites you hard yeah right? yeah it's so interesting too because like you know that i'm thinking about that meteoric rise thing you know and i think meteoric rise is sometimes in the eyes of the beholder you know because like i would say right it would say like billy strings is having like a meteoric like a you know overnight but, he's, yeah, but he's i wouldn't older, say he's an overnight so. sensation see like yeah like, that's the thing. Like, people go, oh, I've never heard of you. Like, how long have you been doing this? And then you realize, oh, shit, the backstory is, like, way longer. Yeah, <laughs> you've been around a while. And there's a lot of, like, you know, there's a lot of success and failure. That's the shit I love. Well, do you, you know, know what I mean? Meme? Yeah. Do you know that meme of a guy leaning over with the girl at the ball game and he's trying to explain to her about something? You ever see that meme? I don't there's, think so. There's a meme of a guy, like, looking at a girl who looks so disinterested. And then, like, the meme is, like... So like Hulk Hogan beat uh, the Iron Sheik in '84, and she's like, "Who? What the fuck? <laughs> like, you can't do many people about what you're talking about unless they're in the eco." And right, that's, that's where yeah. when I think about this this conversation, like music, comedy, wrestling, like we're all potentially savants in our conversations about it, but we're also <laughs> fans of the other pieces of the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You know, my my favorite is is um the overlap between Grateful Dead and and Allman Brothers too and professional wrestling because when I started doing my wrestling posts and I think the Halloween Havoc might have been my first one. Um, I have to go back to my was. thread and look. But when I started doing my professional wrestling posts, man, the Deadheads are that. They're like, what? No way, O'Teal's in the... And, the... and the ones that really are excited because I'm into the 80s wrestling, you know, like, oh, he's a he's an old head. Like, yeah, it's well, so funny, man. Well, this is the whole thing about, like, cross-pollination with audiences right now. Like, um, a friend of mine is working with, you know, Jelly Roll? Do you know that guy? Yeah. Yeah, my buddy, Roosevelt Who, Collier, that plays Steel. Sacred Steel that plays with Jelly Roll. So my friend Jared is working with Jelly Roll and, and he, what he identified, we were talking last week was like, you know, you've got this guy that there, there's, you know, you don't put a rapper in a rapper in a song today. You put a rapper in a country star because it, it, you know, it's almost like putting like that, the red and blue liquids together to get the, we don't know what it is. Yeah. But like that yep. scientific explosion and those data points allow for new people to become, you know, ancestrally connected. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's very interesting. I heard something about how 
country and hip hop are very similar that like groups of people collaborate on each on songs. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize, but like there's like seven or eight country singers that contribute to maybe one song or two songs. Like they're writing, and a lot of, they're writing, they're writing, they're sitting and writing on, on some of those lyrics. Yeah. Or they're submitting pieces and things like that, you know, and it's all kind of collective for each other. That's a very unique. And so, and in hip hop, it's kind of similar as well. Like there are, artists that just do their you know just them they write their stuff whatever yes. but there are it's not uncommon that to have like collaborations like that but which i think more, open up those two worlds in particular to jive you know is it more uncommon to be a sole writer on a on a track today uncommon i think it's probably 50 50 in certain you know i mean i hear about hip-hop tracks like like i have a friend that works with lady gaga and he like is one of 11 like he literally wrote like six lines of a 40 line song right when you look at the credits yeah. you know i don't know about you guys but like i like looking at imdb's credits and yeah. like movie credits um music credits at the back of the cd i love and then i'll be like like there's a sound there's like this like yacht rocky sound of like almost like um ambrosia michael mcdonald stuff and i'm like and like prince and i'm like Oh my god, that guy was in everyone's ear. Yeah. Like, who is that's, that guy? Yeah. Where yeah. He, what's yeah. his influence? Where did he come from? Yeah, I love that. But I find myself doing it more with stuff like wrestling or UFOs than I do music. I mean, I've been playing music since I was five, and my dad was very much a historian of it. So I've I don't know. It's like I I mar I do it more in other things <laughs> than music, but I definitely do it in music. It's like a history lesson. If, I, if I'm in the Jocko, then I got to see who his heroes were. Then I got to see who their heroes were. And then you're back to the 20s relatively quickly, you know. Is it? But is it like, um, you know, the kid that worked at McDonald's after he worked there, he stopped eating McDonald's? Is there like that type of mindset? <laughs> like, no, like I think there was more. Yeah, I see what you mean. Or like, even I for think Mike, more is of it. it is it hard for Mike to, is it hard to make Mike laugh? Right? That I'll tell you the first moment in comedy that I was upset about something I didn't know was about to happen. I did a gig with Bob Saget in Montreal. It was a corporate event. Oh, cool. Okay. And, and the guy that was with me was the former founder of um, Just for Laughs. Okay. And I, we were talking and they were talking about Don Rickles. And my heart, I was like so proud to be in this conversation. And I go, so like, what shows do you go to? What do you like? And I'm like trying to like be like, you know, have you been to this? He's like, mm, I just don't. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, it's just not funny. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I mean, what do you mean? He's like, he's like, I don't need to be at a show to know if someone's good or not. I'm like, what do you mean? Hmm. He goes, I can tell yeah. by the beats and the rhythm of the laughs to know if someone's crushing or bombing. Okay. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, we did a show in like the nineties with Joan Rivers. And I was in my office, didn't want to see the show. I was just working while I knew she was on stage in front of, in one of those theaters. And he said, um, I knew she was bombing about five to 10 minutes in because I didn't hear the beats. Yeah. Yeah. So then I went down and I knew that it, she, it was frustrating. And then she walked off at 43 minutes when she was supposed to do 60. And mm. he said, when it's, when you get to that point, funny, isn't funny anymore. And I'm always, I'm now, when I'm seeing comics, I'm like looking at them the same way. Maybe you're looking at a musician or the same way you're looking at something. I'm, I'm, I, yeah. 
I'm turning a little bit, and I, it makes me nervous that I can't appreciate this funny. Uh, well, I think it's just you just have a you like once you've had the really good stuff, you know. Well, it's just more rare when the good stuff comes down the line, you know. Yeah, and I'm sure O'Teal, you have like you had moments where you said you went to see Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you were in tears, Dude. you know. So I have my I have my Earth, Wind, and Fires with stand up that like when I got to go back to remember and like why I got into this in the first, why I liked when the business yeah. just shits all over, not, not oh. even the bit, you just have the notion that you're not, you know, you're stuck in the mud every now and then I got to go back and listen to like my old favorites and kind of just go like, Oh yeah. All right. That's right. You know? And I mean, I see it, I'm around it nightly. I, it does get to the point where it's just kind of noise, you know, like you can't sit and like have focus on everybody's jokes and everybody's. And also because yeah. I, maybe selfishly don't want to become influenced by what someone's talking about. Mm -hmm. well, how easy is that? How easy? So is easy. Because I mean, might, I, is there like a tint of like, you're taking my shit? Well, so there's, you know, we all talk about parallel thought in comedy where it's like, you know, okay, yeah. if your dad was, if your if your parents were divorced and my parents were divorced, you're going to do a joke about it. Cause that's your life, you know, and I'm going to do a joke about it. Cause that's my life. And that's parallel thought. We're not, you know, but if there's a joke where it's literally like kind of, you know, public domain, uh, I don't know, peeing in the tub kind of thing or whatever, you know, like every, yeah. it, it just turns into kind of like, all right, it's been done. You know what I mean? Or whatever. But I just feel like, I don't want my cadence or my writing or my tags or anything to like be influenced by anyone because that's like, just as I've gotten older in comedy, I feel like I'm finally getting a grasp on what that even is. You know what I mean? You feel like you have to ice. Like, are you like earmuffs? No, nah, I just don't pay attention. I tune it out. You know what I mean? Like I go watch the people I, I'm interested in. I mean, there are, I'm surrounded by phenomenally talented savants. Like you mentioned, like, all the time and I watch them to purely enjoy them. But then if I feel myself kind of like, Oh, that's a great concept. I'm like, I got to walk away. Like, I don't want to, cause it'll get stuck on the inside yeah. of my brain and then I can't get it out. You know what I mean? So I like to just kind of, I'm going to walk out of the room now and you know, but if it tells on, or if you know, any of my favorites, like I'm down there just giggling like a child. Every time I see a tell, I'm like, did he say that before? Did he, is that freestyle? He's, he's, because he can talk without thinking. And I can do the same. I can talk without thinking better than most people I know. Like I, I have a skill because I've been on the mic and I host events and I can just be on my feet. And I'm very comfortable in that chaotic sense. But I'm always curious if he's rinse and repeating, which is okay because it's your bit and you got your shit. But when I see him like doing like the bumping mics or like when he's just, coming in and popping in at a 12 o'clock where there's no one around. I think I've seen the most sharply witted sniper in the game. He's a, he's a shoot. He's a comet. He's a, he's a shooting star. He's different than everybody and every he's yeah. everyone's favorite and it, and it's well-deserved. And he's a, a, a very sweet, kind giving person off stage. Yeah. And, uh, Everything he says on stage, like I, I hang on every word still. And I've traveled with him and opened for him a million times. And like I've said it before a million times on this podcast, like there's a handful of moments doing stand up that I was present. 
enough to enjoy the moment. And one of them was opening for him at the Wilbur in Boston and seeing him laughing on stage, like on side stage. And I'm like, this is it. It could all end now. Like that was the biggest thing for me. But yeah, he's, he's, he's literally like an alchemist. Like he just pulls shit out of nowhere. And it's like, what it's the fuck? Like, like it's new shit. It's not oh, fun. he's yeah. No, he's, he's no, he's pure. He's yeah. He's grain alcohol. <laughs> he's just like, right. it's down. To he's the so comfortable. Form. He's so comfortable on stage, and that's really why is. I think he can improvise. He must, that is, that is the, the, I guess, is that the mileage? Like, you know, he makes, he makes yes, references. Experience. Yeah. He pulls references out from, like, today, and he's way older than me, and he pulls references out of pop culture that I'm like, the fuck's he talking about? Like, he's, like, pulling out names of, like, mumble rappers and shit as, like, a ref for, like, a snap, quick, throwaway thing. Yeah. That makes like one pocket of the room explode and they're like, fuck, you know, you know what he's doing is it's like he's making forever fans. You know what I'm saying? Like one by one, he's making forever fans. You know what I mean? And he's going like, I'm, I'm relating to you. I'm relating to you. I'm relating, but all in like this, it's brilliant. I don't know. He's just absolutely like, there's a thing about crowd work, which I don't necessarily say he's a direct crowd work guy, but he uses the crowd. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I always oh yeah, especially like, bumping mics too. Well, bumping mics is a crowd place. So when I, so when I, I see Rickles a few times, I think I said this to Atiel once. Like, you know, it's easy. He can see. A, you know, there's an Asian guy, there's a black guy, there's a white guy, there's a Jewish guy. Like he could go bang, 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 bang. And and I get after the third time, it's still funny. Yeah, yeah. But it's almost <laughs> like it's it's a plant because it's very easy to just be racist. Yeah, no. like it's very easy to be like, oh, this guy, you know, like, right. Whatever. You know, where's your wife? What are you feeding her? Like, whatever. Like, it's like, <laughs> and so whatever he's saying, and I'm realizing that, but with Atel, it's the same thing, but it's so much hundred times layer of more impressive because it's not the same thing every time. It's, it's not. And it's, and it's like, yeah. and he goes on at the most like, uh difficult it's almost like it's almost like he likes digging himself a hole to get out of sometimes like he'll go on at 2 a.m at the cellar everyone's hammered the nights you know they people have just seen a lineup of phenomenal comedy <laughs> and he's like all right like i got my work cut out for me you know and he's like outside smoking a cigarette like you'd see like tyson in the tunnel getting ready to like you know and he just comes out and it's just like <laughs> slam 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 and he talks to the host and he talks to the staff and he like makes it all this thing of kind of like pay attention or you're going to get run over kind of you know and it's but he does it in moments off stage too that are kind of amazing like he was jay was telling me a story atel was showing jay his new car and it had a sunroof and atel goes check it out and he opens the sunroof and he goes that's so jesus can hear my rhymes (laughs) it's just such a fucking stupid thing (laughs) but from atel it's like just what a funny He's but dressed is he, like a. Is he, is he is he thinking about anything when he's smoking that butt? I don't. Is fuck, he, I got everything and nothing. I don't know. Is, God. is his hard drive empty and it wants to get full on stage, <laughs> or is he already full of a hard drive that's unloading the data? I, that's the question. <laughs> when I'm nervous about doing a gig, I've built this immunity, and I don't know about you, Otiel, like. I don't think about it until I'm on the stage. Because if I was thinking about it until I was on the stage, I'd bite my fingers off and I'd cry myself to sleep, yeah. right? Yeah. So <laughs> I've built this immunity. I might get tired all day and I'll just like bottle up my energy so that when I can go boom. 
But other That's than that, too. I can't think about it. I think it's baked into the cake with what I do. Well, it's, well, like how much of that with with when you're performing is like what unknowns are you going into, or is it all laid out? It's all like with with the music. It's all like uh, because it's improvisational, you know, and everything I've done from, you know, the jazz tradition or the African music tradition or Colonel Bruce, Almond Brothers, Dead, it's all improvisational. So we know we're going and just shaking the dice and throwing them, you know, so you get more comfortable with that. And that's what In I love chaos. Is that chaos? about. About yeah, about comedy and wrestling. Cause like, you know, when I watch the interviews with the wrestlers, they're talking especially the older ones that are just calling it. Yeah, they're all the modern matches I feel are more choreographed or planned out. And some people did that in the old days, but you know, just like Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair, you know, they're just calling it in there. And so you're fishing around to see what makes the crowd pop. And you know, you may have something planned or you think that's great and it's like it pops, but not so much. And then something you just did on the fly just like made the crowd really pop. And mm, so then you go, go there that way. Yeah. 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 And I, and that, that hooked me so hard. I was like, dude, that's like improving on stage. Cause at some points for who knows why it just all comes together and you feel it on stage and you feel it in the crowd and you just run with it, you know? But like when you're doing like a China cat into a thing, into a thing, or when Mike's doing a, a joke about his parents that goes into a thing and then he comes back to the thing to bring you back to that thing. It's kind of the same thing with like the wrestler who's like working the leg or the arm, right? <laughs> yes, totally, yes. totally. Or, or, exactly. yeah. or you're, and then in the wrestling sense too, it could be the guy that got hit by a chair from a manager that slid up and didn't see him coming, right? And now he's got to come back from behind. And everyone's yeah. on his side because he got grifted by the, uh, you know what I mean? And that whole thing is like, that happens quite a bit. I feel like too, with a heckler or with a, 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 um, yeah. a tray of drinks spilling or a technical difficulty with in my instruments on, you know, for band sakes and stuff, you know, there's a point where the audience starts to pull for you, you know? And I think that's yeah. a super important thing. And I, I wonder psychology. What, exactly. <laughs> And OT, I'd like to ask you recovery. both. I'd like to ask you both something. Yeah, the recovery. Um, Rebecca Trent, this amazing woman. She owned the creek. She owns a creek in the cave, which used to be in Queens, and now it's in Austin. I was having a conversation with her about comedy, and I want to ask you both your thoughts about. I think this translates to all art, but the amount of years that you're doing it is kind of equivalent to your age of maturity. So, like one year in, you're like a one year old. Five years in, you're like a five-year-old. 20 years in, you're like a 20-year-old, you know? Like, if you think about that from, and I'd love to know your guys' perspective because it does kind of make sense to me because I my terrible twos were like, I was looking at everything everybody else had and I was like, I want that. Like, I deserve, like, that's mine, you know? And then it's like, you kind of look back on that and you're the like, eh. Yeah, you throw your tantrums and you're trying so hard to impress the older kids and yeah. Then you get to your teenage years and you're sort of like, eh, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, you, you, things start to change and you, you mature. You see the difference of that, that rookie that walked in trying to get, I say, get his shit in. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Where now it's like music I appreciate is like silence. That too. I would love your guys' thought. Like, do you guys agree that that's the more artists I talk to, it's not just comedy. It's anything where you put your passion in. It could be designing websites. It could be making sculptures. It could be anything. The more it could be management. The more years you put in, it's kind of like equivalent to your maturity and your age. It's just experience, man. Ten thousand hours, what do they say? And uh, you know, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, ten thousand hours. You're an expert in anything. I, I made some quick notes about this. That I, first of all, yeah, like like how long does it take to be funny, right? That that first comic that was probably hanging out with his friends at after after the club or you know in their friend's basement puffing dudes and it was always funny. Well, like that's a great way to become a comic. But what does that have to do with like the grind? And the no, the minutes, the beats, the hardware, the understanding, all of that. So, like, how do you deal with being uh, the loneliness on the road, the hotels, that the you know? Right. It's like, and even having, we're not even talking about music. We're talking about how do you deal with your yeah. head and the life on the road, but you don't have no way of knowing how that's going to be till you get out there. I mean, again, music's a little bit different. You're playing three hours, two hours where like wrestlers and comics they're doing 10 minutes 15 minutes like well well they're driving from poughkeepsee to to tennessee uh they got to check into the hotel they got to go for a workout they got to eat their lunch they got to go to the arena four hours early they got to stretch they got to get their cardio in they got to go over the mat then they do 10 minutes of a wrestling match <laughs> and then they got to come and then they got to go drive three hours and come down from that like so like come down from that that's the be- that's it right there that's the that's where the drugs and alcohol. That's everyone. Happen. That's everyone. Dude, that's did, everyone. I just did a yeah. week of gigs in Atlantic City, and I'm on from nine to nine twenty. Like you could set your watch. Casinos don't fuck up because they need to turn the machines on when everyone's exiting and shit. You know, so nine to nine twenty. I I left my hotel room just in time to be in the green room like twenty to nine. So then I went on at nine, and then I got off at nine twenty, and then I was back in my room at nine thirty. And it's just like, <laughs> that's it. I'm done. But I've been building up for hours and hours and hours to like that. And now I got to come down from that. And and I'm just in my room. Like, I should, I should take my pants off because I'm going to, you know, like back into my shorts. And you know what I mean? It's just such a weird. Yeah. It's no one prepares you for that. It's Otiel, a weird you're right. existence. It's Nobody a prepares weird you for existence, it. man. No, but, but, but that's when I have a hard day or a day that I'm thinking about for a year from now that I'm like, Oh, I got to be at this thing to do this thing for this thing. I've built another thing about the not thinking about it. I'm also saying to myself, this day will start and this day will end. Okay. And that, yeah. yeah. Second year, you second year, you as a two-year-old would never know this day will come and this day will end. You would have taken, you'd spend that whole year. bugging the Yes. Yes, because oh, because the best. how bad could it be? We've lived already forty eight thousand days of our lives, right? This is just a moment that is in one of those fractional yeah. fractionals. Can I just bring up a point? Because he says something about the recovery. I just have an all timer that I just remembered. Really sad recovery. Uh, one of my friend's fathers passed away, and we were at the funeral, and the rabbi was doing the sermon. And he was like, please, everyone turn your phones off and respectfully. And, and the guy was going in hard, like Jerry Maguire. We were all in tears. He was working the room. And like, he, I mean, and again, rabbis and priests, you know, 
they also have this yeah. this thing that we talk about. Because I actually spoke to a bunch of rabbis who I've known over the years who always talk about how because they can cut promos, mm-hmm. right? These guys cut promos. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> these guys yeah. do monologues. I'm like, yo, did that, I, is that scripted? Yeah. Is that in the <laughs> cut promos. I love it for real. So he's this guy's hooking the room. All of a sudden, a fucking cell phone goes off. Okay, and it's ringing. It's ringing, and everyone's like looking at their phones. We're taking everyone's the whole, 300 people. Everyone's vexed. <laughs> All of a sudden. The rabbi looks and it was his phone that was ringing. Okay. <laughs> right. In front of the mic. Okay. This is the guy who said, please make sure your phones are turned off. And it was his that had like nine, nine rings. Okay. Nine rings in a room. That's and, amazing. And, and and the point is that, you know, like I said, you, you drop the glass or the, someone trips or whatever, or the heckler, the recovery did not exist. Like everyone was like, you fucking lost me. <laughs> <laughs> you lost everybody. Yeah, uh, I'm like, there is so no funny. recovery here. Uh, so, that's brilliant. So, <laughs> I just say it. Hey, man, look, we've been on the, we've been doing this an hour. We did talk about what I really wanted to talk about, which is the whole story of how you met the Iron Sheik. Yeah, yeah. Let's do, um, tell people about, because I know your dad and the Sheik knew each other right back yeah. in iran because yeah. i find this whole thing fascinating in america i remember jimmy carter presidency and since then iran you always thought it's not modern it's just terrorists and stuff so i was like wait a minute you were jewish in iran like that's a whole story in itself but people don't realize iran in the 70s was just very you- kind of like here in the 70s it was a beautiful place yeah. to live, actually. It was like people were like, let's yeah. go to Iran for vacation. Like, it's like people were like, it's a beautiful yeah. place. It was, uh, it looked like Mary Tyler Moore, which I'm dating myself, but yeah, but I get like, it. I get it that with the scarf look, you know, and all, vibe. yeah, you know, the 70s cosmopolitan, yeah, you know, like, so, but I, you know? so, 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 yeah, so interesting enough. So, my mom and dad arranged marriage, by the way, okay. Um, not knowing it my mom and my dad my dad was uh one of eight children and he was the oldest and grew up and he's still alive grew up in athletics he didn't school he was boxing he was playing table tennis he grew up it was like macho camacho like loving just sports to the point where he was horrible in school but the high achieving athletes in iran the three sports were table tennis professional sorry table tennis professional uh, amateur wrestling greco-roman wrestling boxing and soccer okay so my dad was in a little bit of a world we're at the place where they were all doing their thing andre agassi's father was with them um there's a guy named there's a guy named tahti who is like basically the michael jordan uh of of all sports in iran uh, the Iron Sheik. So my dad and the Sheik grew up best friends, 10 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, always playing sports together. Um, <clears throat> and so when my dad moved to North America, um, <clears throat> he didn't know anyone, but the only person he knew happened to be the most hated man on television. Okay. His only friend is a guy who's now <laughs> famous on television who's despising the Iranian flag and Americans and is like a known as a terrorist. Um, 
And my dad has a whole <laughs> world of stories because when he moved here, he ha- he was like in the seventies, Iranians in America, like they were, they were like exotic, like, like, like yeah. now you can see guys that look, you know, cultured, but back then, so he actually moved first to San Francisco, believe it or not. My dad was friends with guys where he hung out with um, Wilt Chamberlain, literally. He's got a picture with Sinatra where they're partying together, my father. Um, But he was almost doing it in this like, in this like Borat sense, like Forrest Gumpy, like not knowing, (laughs) not even appreciating it. Um, I have a story that I'll say, I had to do with Jackie Mason, but like, he was out in this world by himself. I love Jackie. Iranian, not knowing anything. And so they were in touch a couple of times and then they're, and then they just, that was it. Like they were both married. They're both figuring out their lives and this and that. And then all of a sudden, when we were three years old, four years old, and our, our babysitter put us in front of the TV while she was like folding laundry and like doing things, we were just, my brother and I would be like glued to the TV, watching the thriller video or watching, you know, Smurfs or whatever wrestling would come on and there's a man speaking on television in Farsi screaming at, at TV. And, and all I remember was my mom was cooking in the kitchen and I remember her drop the pot. I heard like a, a crash and then she runs in screaming like, what is this? Who is this? And then she looks and she's like, that's your dad's friend. That's your dad's best friend. And we're like four years old. Like, what the hell do I know? I know nothing about, I can't even read <laughs> Look back and realize what they were even talking about. My dad comes home. My mom tells my dad. My dad calls the sheik that night. I think he must have left them a message or something. They spoke a couple of days later. And back then, so like common, like they do Madison Square Garden once a month or once every two weeks. This was not like the one year now. Like it's a wider route, right? Can, am, I, am I good here? Yeah. Am I good? Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a wider, it's a, it's a wider route. So Within a month or so, the wrestling was coming to Toronto, and my mom, my dad invites the Sheik, and we pick him up from the airport. Imagine you're you're five, four years old. You're picking up a guy that you just saw on television up at the airport. Yeah. Like, you're like, like, and he's like a superhero, right? Like, this oh, is now becoming Bigger normal, than life. Right? And my mom spent the week cooking. She, my mom is an insane, if you're ever in Toronto, my mom is an insane Iranian Persian cook. Rice and the kebabs, oh. like, no, like oh. nasty food coma, food coma level. Okay. Got to go. Got yeah, to come yeah. do that. She murders, <laughs> she, she crutches. And it, so, and we weren't like, we were like these Iranian kids. Like, we were like not cool. Like, my mom literally would make us lunch where literally the whole hallway of our cl- school would smell of like raccoon or whatever she was thinking. <laughs> raccoon. Okay. We're like the other kids, we were, the other kids had like fruit roll-ups and like Twinkies and we're like, please mom. She's like, no, you're going to have prunes for dessert. Okay. Hilarious. Okay. Like, I'm not joking when I say this, like there were times where like, she made like an egg sandwich that had grape juice spilled all over it. I swear to God, it was a stink bomb. And it was like embarrassing for us to be <laughs> running when we were younger. People calling us terrorists, people making fun of us. And we were like, oh, these, yeah. our parents had lots of money in Iran. They moved here and lost everything. So we were like these $7 shoe Velcro shoe kids. 
um yeah. surrounded by others that had shit and so yeah the fruit roll-up was like massive to me like a freshly squeezed orange juice i still consider a luxury in my life right when i could order one at a, at a restaurant so yeah so all of a sudden my mom would invite all of these people her friends these the people on our street come over for dinner and nikolai volkov and fucking the iron sheik would come <laughs> house nikolai okay <laughs> like out who needs acid <laughs> yeah amazing that like what's normal to me remember we talked about this what, what's normal to you right. is mind-blowing to me what's normal to me is my so sitting on their lap like all of it and so and i don't know i could probably name you set 15 times that this was happening and every time it was like a different wrestler would pick him up, Jim the Anvil Nightheart or Don the Rock Morocco, or and we would walk oh. in to the building. Now the Sheik didn't know backstage versus Friday. We there were times where we would literally park the car in the lot where all the fans were, and he we'd walk in where the <laughs> tickets they were being ripped in. He didn't know. And I'm six years old, and people are fucking cursing us. Okay. <laughs> and i'll never forget the i said this at the funeral i'm like he said to me don't, don't worry i'll protect you and i remember him grabbing my hand tight oh. and, said, and oh. i felt i felt great but then there were times where he brought me backstage and like king kong bundy would be like get out of my way and like we would fucking this is real right this is like macho man and like sitting on hogan's lap and andre and hugging him and and there was a show, and I was trying to find. I went, <laughs> I went into a fucking. I went into a fucking rabbit hole. I, I, I'm actually so upset because I'm going to sound like a liar when I say this. We were at a show at Maple Leaf Gardens. It was a show where the Junkyard Dog introduced for the first time ever the Honky Tonk Man. Oh wow! As a, as a wow. good guy, and he said, "All the kids come into the ring," and I rode on Junkyard Dog's back. I'll never forget. He was fucking <laughs> with so with sweat. And like that was like the shit that I would be doing, and like, Such... I mean, I mean, so 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 what happened was, I used to be obsessed with the autographs. I'd be like, we'd have like this diary book where we got like Gorilla Monsoon and Tito Santana and this guy and that guy, and I would come back to school, grade one, grade two, grade three. I'd be like, yeah, we're friends with those wrestlers. They came over last night. They're like, fuck are you, liar. Like you're no, what are you even talking yeah, about? Yeah, with the stinky and sandwiches. So I, <laughs> yeah, old seven dollar yeah, like, Velcro feet. You're, you're, like they would tie you to a tree and call you a terrorist. Like it was like, oh my god, for real. We were like these nobodies. <laughs> and, but the do, but but one, but the dopamine was zapped. Right, you had that moment. I the sugar, a, yeah, yeah, that zap. Yeah, we're like the electricity at five years old, six years old. So I started taking pictures to prove my stories and i've always been a big picture guy yeah. as much as the autograph was important and it felt like it had a more value this and that i was like i need to like i have too many scenarios where like i'm behind the curtain just like you guys probably do as well in which they probably sound like lies if you spoke to the chiropractor about it i don't mean to diss the chiropractor if anyone's watching we love chiropractors um <laughs> 
two digs on the chiropractor page. You can really take a shots at him. One more. And, uh, saying, like, you know, it's like what he sees, what we're exposed <laughs> to. Someone what? has a good back out of the three of us, Oteal, huh? Uh, <laughs> what we're exposed to. So so the Sheik would come, we would be fucking cool. I would bring pictures to school. We'd bring the dolls. I did my grade three speech, my grade. I was dressed up like them for Halloween, like all of it. All of oh, it. We were fucking wrestling. We need like, pics of that. You as yeah. the Sheik. Oh, Halloween. I gotta, I gotta find it. But so, but then all of a sudden, and I think it was 1988 or 89, he got busted for marijuana. And I'm like, not knowing what that was. Yeah. And cocaine. Yeah. With Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who was the good guy. And he With was Hacksaw. They were in the car together. Okay. <laughs> So, they weren't supposed to be riding together, although maybe by that time it might have been cool. No, dude. Uh, it was like a, it was the extra yeah, no, not for cool sure, No, for sure, for sure. But still, like the 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 curtain was fully ripped off. And it's funny because the sheep yeah. who I, I have about three or four of those scenarios, and that was one of the main ones. Like he won the title, all those things, but this one really was the seed of seeds to change the future of the business about the real versus the fake and the embracing of the, that's true of the storyline culture. Again, it was only seven, eight years, nine years later um, that the attitude era came where it was like fully blown out. But anyway, this was the place. So, so when he got, when he got um, fired, my, like, again, my mom is a purist, like a, the most pure human being, She's like, he's. We're never seeing him again. He's the worst person in the world. He did marijuana. Oh no! no. Like my mom is like intense. So that was like eleven, twelve, thirteen. But but by fourteen, fifteen, like wrestling was like doink the clown, and like it wasn't like we were. That's when I stopped. But yeah, we were thinking about other things. And when you think about that, when we when you stop. A lot of people did. The ratings yeah. went down. The audiences were shrunk. Yeah, there was a time. If you look back yeah. in the history of wrestling, ninety-five. I was thirteen, fourteen. Uh, they could have gone out of business. They were doing like high school gyms for a, yeah. a, a minute. Like yeah. literally. Um, yeah. Anyways, at that time, we were very we were struggling. Our parents got evicted from their house. We moved into an apartment. My brother and I were like troublemakers. We were like just just we had no choice but to like survive and hustle. And we actually started throwing um, parties. This is where the, the kind of the the the, the inkling to our um, and the seed to our business was. We started throwing parties, um, and they were always we called it "suck it productions." And at the bottom, it said "no extra." <laughs> okay, love it, love and it. We used this wrestling stuff, and we put on flyers, and we'd be like, "It was like we wrestling was coming back." <laughs> we're at a bus stop. We're at a bus stop, not far from our house. And there was a poster flyer on the in the in the bus uh, shelter. It said the Iron Sheik versus Abdullah the Butcher in a place that was oh. 23 minutes away from us. We're like, mm. like yeah, why baby. is this not in the sky dome? What do you mean it's in this place? Not knowing that there was a world that we were not exposed to because all we knew was what was on television. Right. So yeah. we were like, Iron Sheik Abdullah, like, we're like, do you think he'll remember me? Like that was like that was the thing. Like imagine when you're 16, 17, and you don't see someone for yeah. five years. Like if I don't speak to you both for five years, we'll remember this conversation, right? Yes. Like five years when you're 12 to 16, 17, like that's like <laughs> he remembers us. We go to this place. It looked totally different. 
Well, but still, like, of course, he was my dad's best friend. Like, what am I thinking? Right. Yeah. Of course, he's a member. But yeah. when I was in it, I was petrified. We go to the show, and there's 110 people in this room for the Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher. Oh, you man. couldn't, it was in a bar in Scarborough, Ontario. You couldn't even go on the top rope because your head would hit the ceiling. It was like the second rope was like high enough. That's how low and dingy and, wow. you know, buy one pound of wings, get one free, $10. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of that. And my brother and I are like, how is there not 60,000 people here right now? We're like, how, does this, how is this possible wow. that this is actually, and we were fascinated by it to the point where, and I'll tell you about the chic part at the end, but we were like, who's that wrestler? This person, what's this thing? Where, is this person? where did that ring come from? We what we go over to the curtain and we're like we like to see the sheik for a minute. We were his family, and he sees us and he starts fucking bawling like he's like hug and kiss and like like way more. And I'm I'm sure you might see this. Both of you might. It was way more as the performer embracing us than we were fanning out. And I'm yeah. sure like as talent sometimes like you're looking for a real connection sometimes than versus like liking yeah. me for what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Liking me because I'm that talent. Liking me because I'm a gig guy. Liking me because I am funny. No, this was like, it, it superseded that feeling, right? Yeah. It like, yeah. It's just back to where we were, when we were, what we were, right? Right, right. And so exchange numbers get it. But while we were at the show watching these things, and we were throwing parties at the time, getting three, four, five, six hundred people coming to these parties that my brother and I were, were working at that promoting. And we were for 16 years old, like we were making money that saved our parents our, our whole thing. Like we threw a party that we made like seven thousand dollars in one night. Like it was like holy yeah. shit. Anyhow, so we're like, how is it possible there's only 110 people here to see the sheik and Abdullah the butcher wrestle when we get like six hundred people watching us? Right? Like we're like, yeah. I bet you we can get people coming to watch me versus you wrestle. I tell this to my brother. So we asked the lady with the ring. We asked this guy. We this. We end up getting all these pieces together, and we wanted to put on our own wrestling show. So we we spoke to this lady, Elma and Mac. They were like these wrestling carnies that owned the ring. And we spoke to this wrestler and the referee, and we just quickly tried to figure it out. And we said, let's fucking put on a show where me and my brother wrestle at a local community center, and we'll see what happens. That was, uh, so, so this show was in, so about four months later, the WWE was in Hamilton, Ontario for a show for a pay-per-view. Okay. And now wrestling's fucking hot. Like Austin, Taker, Bret Hart, Mike, it's like rock, NWO, like it's popping. So we're like, it's cool now to talk about wrestling. And we fucking, we go to the show. It's sold out and i've got 50 of these stories but this is the one we sneak into the show we don't have tickets we couldn't afford tickets like we like just we just drove there and we found a way to and i've had i've snuck into more shows than anyone you know like i've once used to know how to get into the sky dome so i would get people to come we would sell peanuts outside of the sky dome to go to like the and then i'd bring elton john billy joel plant and page aerosmith i'd bring parents with me I'd, i would charge people to get them into the building okay mm -hmm. So we see these two kids that recognize us from bar mitzvahs and being bar mitzvah DJs. 
And they're like, oh my God, you're the Megan boys. We're like, yeah. We're like, the mother's like, I, I can't go into the show. Can I just give them to you and you can babysit them while we're in the show and I'll pay you? So we don't even have tickets and we end up sneaking these kids in. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're now, we're now standing, sitting at the top of a ramp watching it because we don't know where to sit. And this has happened twice before. And I'll show you pictures to prove it. But this one was the first time this ever happened. Security goes, you, come with me. We're like, we're going to jail. We're fucked. And the guy goes, you see that match? After this match, we may need you guys. We're like, what do you mean? They're like, we need people to sit in those few, first few rows because the receipts are going to be out. Ringside. Ringside. Sweet. No, no, we just snuck in. I have a uh, sorry. I have a I have a story that's fifty thousand times bigger than this. That's basically parallel to. <laughs> we, end up talking, we end up talking to this guy. His name was Matt Miller. Matt Miller was the former head of security for the Cleveland Cavaliers in the nineties. He moved to WWE and touring. We started talking Iron Sheik, this, this, that, and he was like fascinated that we were like connected. I'm like, we really want to put on a show. Uh, but like, you know, all these guys like King Kong Bundy and and Kamala and blah, blah, blah. They're like, well, well, why would you use those guys? Oh, so sorry, sorry. We're standing at the top of the ramp and he goes, I'll do this for you guys. If you guys do this for me, I'll get you guys a couple of autographs after the show is what he says to me. Okay. And we'll maybe meet some of the wrestlers. This was the trade-off to sit front row and be a seat filler was autographs and pictures. Okay. Think about how fucked up that is. Okay. So we end up not sitting front row, but we end up spending the whole night sitting at the top of the ramp of, of the of the the aisle with the guy and learning tree it, asking him questions and this and that. And he goes, he goes, well, why would you ever want those old guys when you can get the new guys? We're like, what do you mean you can get the new guys? He's like, well, you know, if you're on the right time and right date, we you know there's guys that we can probably get you like like those guys that are in the ring right now. It was the Christian and Edge were part of the brood. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? They're like, well, you know, you know, you're doing something nice for me, and maybe I can set you guys up. That night, we at the end, the, the last match was Undertaker, Kane, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. He takes us backstage. Okay, I've got pictures of the first one. In which, I don't know if you've been to a wrestling backstage area, but all the boys were watching the match on a monitor, right? I don't know if, if you've ever been in an environment like that where all, all the talent's watching what's happening on in the ring. But And it's every wrestler. It's Jeff Jarrett. It's The Rock. It's Nick Foles. It's every wrestler of that. Look at the No Way Out roster. That's what it was called. It's every wrestler there. Like, imagine you're 17. Like, this is this is acid. Okay, that's yeah, this is a perfect. Yeah, yeah. But here's where it, I'm still part of me is like, is it real? Is it fake? What is it? Do they like each other? Do they hate each other? Like, you still don't know. Right. Like, it was still a don't know moment. And it's mind boggling. So the end of the match was they, Taker and Kane were both beating the shit out of Austin. And they both like kind of laid on each other and they both pinned Austin at the same time. So we didn't know who the winner was. And Vince McMahon was at the curtain, gets into the in, 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 down the ramp, and takes the belt and walks back towards the curtain. And we're watching this on the monitor 
Okay. I didn't see Vince at the curtain because the curtain wasn't where we were. But then I realized the curtain was just right here. And Vince gets it. So now the curtain opens. I see where the curtain is. Vince gets into the limousine. And now the ramp, which is 10 feet away from us, opens. And Vince drives away while these guys are chasing the car. And we're all watching it in real life and on television at the same time. Like, fucking head explosion. Okay? Wow. And then all of a sudden, they're like, he drives off. And we're off the air. Cut. They start hugging. He pulls out. Vince is like, and that's how you do it, boys. And this and this and that. And I'm like, whoa. The guy, we end up befriending the guy. And we end up getting us our first indie show where we had Edge and Test. Okay. Wow. Yes. So we so they we, we paid them $1,500 Canadian dollars each to book them. And we went through the WWE's American. Jim Cornette was actually the one who ended up helping us. He was the head of talent at the time. And I was again, I was a fanboy for that. I was a fanboy for every every conversation, a fanboy. So, <laughs> so King Page versus Giant and Edge versus Test. We send, we sneak into the show. Okay, we don't have tickets. And we also snuck in 20,000 flyers, okay, papered flyers, oh in which we would go from the, the, the 500 level all the way to the floor. We would say, here's 100 flyers. I'm like, take one and pass it on. And we would do it all around the building. We papered the shit out of this building, okay? <laughs> and the tickets went on sale the next day on Ticketmaster. And again, total rookie mistake. We're doing Ticketmaster. Uh, and the night of the show is another thing. But all of a sudden, Ticketmaster, the next day, tickets go on sale. We sold like 70 tickets. And then it they took it off because someone at WWF said, this show is not happening. This is not a legal show. This is false advertisement. The president of WWF oh, yeah. Canada, Carl DeMarco, we went over the ca- Canada's head and spoke. To, that's where the disconnect was. And so we ended up getting in a huge pile of shit with WWF Canada because we had this arrangement with them. Anyhow, so in our in our Megan Boy traditional way, we were starting to figure out how to promote the show where we would start going to other schools and we'd start driving around neighborhoods where there were kids. And so we're like, oh, look, these kids are playing hockey on the, on their driveway. So I would walk up and start yeah. talking to these kids. I'm like, do you guys like wrestling? Do you like this? Do you like that? And then my brother, who was with me, drives and tries to run me over, gets out of the car, and we start fighting each other. And, like, literally these parents were, like, <laughs> these parents were like ready to call the police. And then as soon as they were done, we started giving out these flyers. Come to our show, April 30th. <laughs> we did that for, like, three months. At the time, you know, an average indie show was around two to three hundred people. The one with the sheet was one hundred and twenty people. We 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 went. Our friend of mine, Ofer, who was had a very successful lawn mowing business, fronted us the money to put on the show. It was about a fifteen thousand dollar overhead. We getting like certain uh, uh, lights. We got like the crazy laser show, and instead of having like regular barricades, we got these steel metal barricades. Instead of security guards, we hired police officers at like 90 bucks an hour, not knowing anything. Anyways, yeah, the night of the show, money, the night of the show where they were expecting two, 300 people, we had about 1,400 people come to this wrestling show. <laughs> okay. Nice. My nice. brother and I literally were the second main event. It was 
We had like seven matches. Edge and Tess was the main event. <laughs> but everyone came for us, okay? And my mom still <laughs> thought it was real when we were fighting each other that during the match, she tried getting into the ring to stop us from fighting. <laughs> okay, hold on. Yeah. And the security guard, the police officers thought it was part of the show. Okay? So they didn't stop her. <laughs> no, she's like, please, please stop. And I, I, have, I have, we actually reenacted this like five years ago at a show that we did with my mom part of the show. And so, and she's in on it this time. <laughs> yes. She, so, so she, so the whole thing was like, you talk about like electric. We were <gasps> losing like $5,000 on this show. And everyone's oh. miserable. Everyone's crying. Literally, the oh. guy who lent us the money was crying. And so was the oh. guy who lost $2,000 on the food because we just didn't know what we were doing. My brother, yeah. and I, my brother and I were also crying. This was in the post-huddle conversation. We were <laughs> bawling, but we were bawling oh. of happiness. It was like <laughs> the greatest night of my life. We Fuck pulled it off. We pulled off this fucking thing. So then we do another show. So we lost five thousand the first show, then the next show we lost three thousand dollars. Then we do another show, we lost one thousand dollars, and then by that yeah. time I'm, I'm in college and I became friends with the guys from the student council, and they're like, "Yeah, you do all those wrestling shows. We should do one at the school." I'm like, "Okay, well, where should we do it?" They're like, "We'll do it in the pub." I'm like, "Well, how many people does the pub fit?" They're like, "I don't know, two, three hundred." I'm like, "Well, how much are we going to charge tickets?" They're like, "I don't know, like three bucks, five bucks." I'm like, but the show's going to cost you ten thousand dollars. We don't care. I'm like, well, three dollars times three hundred people—that's nine hundred dollars. So what I found out was that in university, your tuition is two thousand dollars a year. Well, forty of those dollars times eighty thousand people goes towards student activity. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. So they put on these shows where it didn't matter if someone came or not; they had to yeah. deploy the dollars. So then we introduce our, uh, the, he introduced me to the guy who ran all the Canadian college and universities in Canada, an organization. Uh, yeah. And we brought uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart and King Kong Bundy to a trade show. And we sold 40 wrestling shows at 20, at 19 years old across Canada for <laughs> real dollars. And that's where we learn. <laughs> we learn. Yeah. And since that show till now, we've never lost money on, on a show again. We only do produced, sold shows. No, I'm not yeah. worrying if one person comes or a thousand. <laughs> and that's exactly like the music business because, you know, uh, so many of these music promoters, they started out booking bands in college. Or right. the Allman Brothers manage, manager, he said, I brought the... Almond Brothers to American University when I was in college for peanuts. Right. <laughs> you know? It's like it didn't even cost a lot. Great, great bands. Like we'd just be like, oh my God, are you serious? But that's how they started getting there. Well, you gotta start learn. somewhere, right? Like and now now yeah. you you know, you're you're not worrying if a million people come to a show. You got a guarantee, I'm assuming. That's how it works. But like yes. I do, yeah, for sure. So so that's where I think people don't want to be in the maybe business, right? When you're a comic, when you're a yeah. musician, or you're in wrestling, like you're working the maybe until you're working the no. It's a it's 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 a guarantee. Yeah, right. And Edge is you know for people that don't know right now is wrestling is is WWE superstar right now. 
And his wife, Beth Phoenix. She's yeah. back. Glamazon. So it's, it's crazy to think about like where they started. how. Yeah, it's, it's great. So, so there's like about 100 wrestlers that I've worked with that were $50 or $100 guys, which was generous, by the way, um, to them at the time because they would work for free and work that are now, you know, on any any of the rosters. Yeah. And so yeah. that's where the journey of a, of a wrestler, who they were then, who they are now, is I'm I'm a huge uh currency uh currency guy. I found this as I was cleaning up actually. This was actually very cool. This is a uh National Wrestling Alliance uh membership roster. I found it was actually where it has every promoter's phone number, address, booking Whoa! Whoa! Yeah, like here's, here's one. Look, Vince McMahon. It says Capital Wrestling. Where does it say Capital? Capital <laughs> oh, wow. Vince McMahon. It says a phone number. It's like this is a pamphlet. Like I'm a huge collector. Now you know, uh, you know Billy Corgan. Yeah, he bought NWA, and they just of did course. a thing here in Boca because we have like a, a wrestling. It's called BRCW Boca Raton Championship yeah, Wrestling. Yeah, As so they work with them? all my local stuff, and they just did a show oh. with uh with nwa and i went to it uh with my friend megan it was really great man yeah that's so cool to see that there's so many man i gotta come to your house because i i want to look through all that stuff. Well, I, we could have like a that's garage such... sale we will be like uh like oh, i'll do like a like a whatnot like all right today uh i've got this i'm like let's talk about <laughs> the backstory of that like it's interesting as i'm hearing us because I, I was actually going to bring up a point to you and with Mike about the fandom part about this. Like, are you yeah. aware of the things in your ecosystem that maybe a fan would be like, holy shit, that you're like, oh, it's no big deal to me. Like, I, I wrote the word U.S. Yeah. Blues, even though I don't think that's the song. Like, you know how like a fan would be like, oh, the second set of that show this is the first time they did this thing that was so important to that thing or like if you're on star trek you know episode 16 of season <laughs> eight was when this girl told spock something and it was like we're like do you think spock remembered that or it was just like it was just another day like i remember to like when i was a super like green fan even though i was in the business like i say to a wrestler like you remember that night on uh monday night raw when you um you uh you beat that guy small like I don't remember fucking yesterday. Like have that like knowledge about the stuff that you do. Like we're like you were at this show that was so historic, but you didn't even realize it because it was just another gig to you. Totally. It's like the the Chris Farley when you somebody yes. Chris Farley's you. It's yes. like, man, remember when you did the, I was like, man, that was gig number 9,045. But there's some cats, like, it blows my mind, especially with the guys that I work with. Like, it could be the guys or Almond Brothers guys. It, it, you know, they like the amount of drugs that was being done. And like Greg Almond would like remember like details, except for Watkins Glen. They were like, nobody remembers that. No one. Well, that's the thing. I hear people all the time. They're like, "Too much drugs." I was in. Uh, I was in Poughkeepsie that night when that was the night that this happened. It's like, do you really remember? <laughs> that or are you just saying that? Right. But like again, again, you know, this is the part where you like get a little jaded when it's your. Um, you're talking when about you do you. it for a career. Yeah, me. But I'm 
And when I went to that Earth, Wind, and Fire concert, because I had never seen Earth, Wind, and Fire when I was little. Was My Lionel? first time seeing it. With Lionel? Uh, Not with Lionel. It was with Santana. Oh, it was with Santana. Oh, I, was I love that. Before. I was at the Toronto one, yeah. Yeah. So I went and... You know, Verdine White is one of my very first. It's like Bootsy, Verdine, yeah. uh, you know, like. And he's he's so number cool. One and two. That guy's like, he's so cool. It's still crushing it in his 70s, jumping all around, you know. But here I finally got to see them at 58 or 57, however I was. And it's amazing. Just all the songs from my childhood, I was just in tears the whole time. And so when I left there, I was like, this is how people feel when you play O'Teal. You got to remember to look at it from their side and not be so jaded. You know, it's just night number 29. And now it, it really helped me going to that concert to just bring it all back for me. That reset sometimes. Like it's like that validation yeah. or the, uh, you know, reminder of it's someone else's yeah. Super Bowl night, not yours. You're just playing in it or whatever, you know. And people write me things like on, they'll DM me on Instagram. It's something that really heavy happened that I didn't know about. And it connected, or maybe there was a synchronicity with the moment that I was a part of it. And I was like, see, aren't you glad you were just giving it your all then? Because that was something so meaningful to them that you couldn't. And it's like, that's why I really appreciate about wrestlers. I feel like because they take so many bumps for it, and so much go through so much physical pain Art. to entertain people that they're less jaded. And I appreciate that because when I was with Nigel and Kavi at SmackDown and uh, Liv Morgan put Shayna Baszler through a table, that was the first for me, Kavi and Nigel to see a live table shot. Right. And when Ricochet was doing all this crazy cool stuff, my son was losing his mind. He's like, dude, Ricochet. It was like Ricochet was a real life superhero. Yeah. You know? And I just thought, this is the best, man. I I, I just appreciate the fair dust of it. It's so you know. it's so nice that you can buy in, right? You can buy into yeah. that, feel that feeling you're talking Absolutely, about. Absolutely, man. I, I think it took my kids for me to look at wrestling through the eyes of a child and the the comedic aspect of it, you know, like Sami Zayn always trying to crack people up and make them break character, you know? So it was like, it's, I love it. Total synergies. But, uh, I, I, this is, there's, there, there's, as I'm hearing what Mike is talking about, like there is not an equal, this is like talking about comedy, talking about wrestling, talking about music, like, those are like try. That's the, that's the triangle. That that that's the equal. Yeah. I have my heart pounds for all those three things. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Oh man, thank you so much for coming on. I just this is great. I've had such a great time. And, There's like uh, stories, dude. There's like story. We gotta kind of freaking go pound for pound on some shit. I don't even know. Oh, absolutely. I want to try to have you back when I know stuff is coming up, like WrestleMania 40 in philly which i'm gonna be at so we'll do a little lead up to that and maybe make it coincide whatever whatever <laughs> however whenever whatever is, is what i would say i'm, I'm grateful well, for, bless uh, you. and thank I'm you for uh hooking us up with the pantheon guys because we wouldn't even be on pantheon if it wasn't for you so thank you for that too those guys are great guys you're you're a beautiful human I'm grateful for our friendship and just thank you for letting me just vent here. Like we're just letting it out. We're just going, man. 
All right, Bubba, you have a good one today. Love you much. Love you too. Love you too, for sure. Pantheon Media presents Comes a Time featuring Mike Fenoya and Oteil Burbridge. Executive produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Produced and edited by Eric Limarenko and Stu Silverman. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Comes a Time with Mike Fenoya and Oteil Burbridge. Be sure to follow the pod on social media, YouTube, and if you're jonesing for bonus episodes and exclusive content, go to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get on the bus. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.